Dave talking, I said, are you trying to do something here? I, I even had to replace the batteries in the mic. I mean, and I mean, I just need to tell you, it was not a little leak. It was, it was, yeah. I matter of fact, you know that song, there is a river that flows from deep within. I've experienced it. <laughs> I've experienced it. Hey, take your Bibles tonight, please, and turn to uh, Romans in chapter 6. I just really thought it would be very appropriate tonight. I know, and by the way, I was going to preach in Romans chapter 8. How much did you say? That, that was going to be next Sunday morning. Okay, all right, very good. All right, great. Good deal. Good. Seriously, that's, that's the sermon for next Sunday morning. But anyway, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. And we we'll want to share with you tonight because what Paul does, Paul ties in a very big way um, the idea of baptism. This is a scripture that a lot of pastors will use when they, when they put the person in the world and say, buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. This is where this is found. And so I just thought it would be very appropriate to teach this. As I started studying, there's a couple things, first off. You know, Romans has been called the fifth gospel. I am certain that, that Paul was just so intellectual. Um, Romans, to me, Romans and Hebrews are two of the most difficult books in the Bible to teach. And I promise you, I put more study time in in this message tonight, probably than I did our Easter morning message. I mean, I studied and studied, trying to get my arms around it. Because as a teacher, I wanted you to be able to walk away today with, with an understanding of at least a couple of truths. Uh, I didn't want to stand up here and say, oh, look how hard I studied and, and, and I got a hand around it. If you walked out not understanding what Paul was trying to say. So I, I don't even profess to be an expert in Romans. But I do think we have some truths today that we can grasp a hold of. Now, what also makes this appropriate, you know, is there are just certain things that we as Baptists push away from. Um, you, know, you know, one is, for instance, um, uh, the Lord's Supper. You know, the Lord's Supper in some denominations is essential for salvation. They believe that the blood becomes, or the juice becomes the blood, and the bread becomes the literal body of Christ, and it's essential to their salvation. And, and, and also, a lot of churches do it how often? Every week, every week. And so, we Baptists didn't want to be associated with that, so we make sure we put it in our Constitution or something like, for instance, we do it once a quarter, and use it on the first Sunday of that quarter. Very, very careful about the Lord's Supper. Um, we're careful about the Holy Spirit. Uh, because, again, the, the churches that practice the charismatic gifts, we wouldn't dare want anyone to think that we might be charismatic. And so we're very careful with the Holy Spirit. And that's a shame because, like I tell you every time, you know, the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. Amen. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our counselor. He's our teacher. He is everything. So, so we should not push back from the Holy Spirit. Um, I wrote down eternal security. Now, now, again, this is the opposite side of the coin. Um, we, of course, believe that once a person is truly born again, now, note those words, truly born again, they are saved forever. We, we believe that by God's grace that a person's sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And because we believe that, because of Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because there's no condemnation, there's the one who could condemn us does not. And so we believe that once we truly have experienced God's grace, we are safe forever. There are people who will say on the other side of the coin, say, oh, no, no, no. We do not believe the eternal security thing because that gives people a license to sin. After all, if they couldn't lose their salvation, what would keep them from sinning? And what a bad theology. What, what even a bad logic and reasoning for that. And, and you know, grace is kind of weird. 
You know, we obviously believe, you know, if I, as Baptists here tonight, and, and probably other denominations here tonight, if I were to say, how many of y'all believe you're saved by grace? Everybody raise your hands, and we are. We are saved by grace. But, but what we have a tendency to do after we're saved by grace is discard grace. And I've seen it over the years as being a pastor and as a believer and as a victim of that, that we somehow think that we've got to perform after grace, after salvation with grace, we have to perform to keep God's favor. That we have to do, 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 do to make God, if you will, like us. And guess what? That is not true ever. Ever is it true. Now, what happens in Romans chapter 6, Paul kicks off a discussion that involves that. He had written in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 20 these words. But where sin multiplied... And he talked about, let me back up and get the first, first part of verse 20. The law came along to multiply the trespass. Now the law reveals to us our sin. The law shows us our trespasses. I always like to say, the law spiritually is not your friend. It condemns, it points out our flaws and our mistakes and our sin. And so, so Paul says that the law came along to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. And, and Paul was so wise, he, it's almost like he could think ahead of time and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know what people are going to say. I know what people are going to say. People are going to say something like this. You know what? If it's true that, that where sin multiplied, grace multiplies more, if we want to experience more of God's grace, then we should sin more. As we sin more, God will extend more grace. Um, it's another way to say this. If God is so bent on forgiving, let's give him more reason to forgive. Ironically, most likely, Paul wrote Romans from Corinth. And what's Corinth famous for? They were carnal. If you want to know, if you want a definition of a carnal, carnal church, just look at Corinth. If you want to look at a carnal, carnal society, look at Corinth and America, by the way. Both of them. So, so we have this situation, and perhaps Paul had that in mind when he wrote Romans chapter 6. So what he's going to do, he's going to address that person out there who says something like this. Now, wait a minute, Dwayne. I know, I know we're saved by grace, and I know we're saved by faith, but we've got to keep the rules. Because if we don't keep the rules, you know, how are we going to prove that God is, has, we have God's favor? How are we going to prove our salvation? How are we going to do that? And he answers this question. Here's what he says. Verse number 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, and just put it out there. So, are we saying then that we should continue to sin? Because as we sin, God will extend more and more grace to us. And by the way, for, for the person here who has that thinking that says, oh, well, I'll just go ahead and sin because God's going to forgive me. I'm saved. I'm in. It doesn't matter because, hey, I've experienced God's grace. That's called grace abuse. That's called grace abuse. That's what that is. So, so he says, so are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says these words in verse number two, the first part, by no means. And, and the Greek words here are, are just, can be translated so many ways. I, I actually checked and went back to the old King James because I was raised on old King James. And I thought, and I was right. It says, God forbid. God forbid. Absolutely not. No, never. Paul is in fact saying that is twisted theology. If you think you should go ahead and live in sin so you can experience more of God's grace, wrong, wrong, wrong. God forbid. Absolutely never. No, never. In fact, he says this. How can we 
who have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Now, now again, y'all know me. I'm as calm as dirt. I'm not a Greek person. You know, I just don't know Greek. But, but again, I'm, I'm looking at the commentaries, what they said. But it's very important. See those words there? How can we who died to sin? Do you see died to sin? In the Greek context, in the Greek grammatical structure of that, it means once and for all. How can we who once for all died to sin? So when we trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we became dead to sin. That is not something we have to do. It's a fact, and we're going to show that tonight. It's a fact that when we became a Christian, we died to sin. But he also says this. How can we who once for all have died to sin still live in it? How can we who have died to sin still live in it? And amazing, the Greek there, the grammatical structure, means continuously. Listen, when you got saved, did you get perfect? Your wife is poking you in the ribs. No, you did not. No, you did not. Listen, there are, again, there are denominations who try to teach that once you become a Christian, you become perfect. You do not. You do not. In case we don't get to it later on because of time, let me just say this. We all retain the capacity to sin, but we do not have the obligation to sin. We have the capacity to sin, but we do not have the obligation to sin. So, he's not saying an occasional sin. He's saying, how can we, who died to sin once for all, turn around and even want to habitually live in sin? A sin lifestyle over and over and over again. It just simply did not make sense. In fact, um, now, I'm, I'm going to quote... <laughs> David, hang on to your seat. I'm going to quote the message. Okay? Now, understand... There are, there are translations of the Bible, which usually are word-to-word -word or almost a word-to-word -word translation from the Greek. There are paraphrases, which are thought-to-thought. -thought. And then there's something like the message, who really, it really isn't a paraphrase. It's fine for reading at home, but I would not make something like the message your primary Bible to use for study. Because it's really not even a paraphrase, it's just kind of what someone person said, this is kind of what that verse means. And, and in this, in the message, he writes these words. If we, but I like it. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or did you not realize we packed up and left there for good? Can I read it again? If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or did you not realize we packed up and left there for good? Friend, I think the church today doesn't understand the incredible good news that when we receive Jesus Christ, we died to sin. We no longer live, if you will, in the country of sin. We packed up and left there for good. We'll say it plainly later on. Sin has no more dominion over us. Amen? It's powerful. Listen to, these, listen to this. It says, it's called living in sin or dying to sin. Living in sin describes a lifestyle of habitual sinful practices. It is a life where sin reigns. Death is the currency of that kingdom. The subjects are slaves and their future is hopeless. Why would anyone, why would anyone, given their freedom, want to remain in such a place, living such a life? 
Dying to sin describes the most frequent way a slave gained freedom by dying to illustrate one aspect of the salvation that God has given us through Christ. Let me pause there. You do understand that particularly in our own country, in that dark part of our history called the Civil War era when slavery was legal and slavery was practiced, for that slave, generally speaking, there was one way to be free from slavery, and that was to die. And that's why so many of the great uh, Negro spirituals talk about death being free. Because no longer would that old master rule over them. Friend, I'm here to tell you, sin no longer rules over us. Why? Just like the slave, when he died, was free. So we have died, and we are free from the power of sin. Amen? That is so, so huge and so important. He goes on and says this. The problem of sin is so deeply rooted in us that radical action is required to eliminate it. In another place, Paul described this process. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Unless we consider ourselves dead to sin, sin will continue to influence us. So we have got to come to the point where we understand that we are dead to sin. And then, and this is where it's kind of cool, then he breaks into a discussion about all things about baptism. Look what he says. Look at verse number 3. Do you not know? It's like, hey, don't you, don't you realize? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? And we're baptized into his death. Now, pause. I always thought, I always thought, that, and there are different kinds of baptism. Uh, we get baptized with the Holy Spirit. There, there are different kinds of baptisms. But I just assumed that Paul was talking here of a spiritual baptism. A spiritual baptism when we're saved into the body of Christ. He's not. He's talking about water baptism. And there's a couple of key thoughts here. Notice what he says. Do you not know that all of us, in contrast to not all of us, when he's writing to the church at Rome, now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Some of y'all need to hear this. He is naturally assuming that every believer in Christ had been baptized. There are two things you need to know. First off, baptism was widely practiced in the early church. All right? And people did not just say, I want to trust Jesus and not be baptized. It was a natural way of identifying with Jesus Christ. If you were saved, you were baptized. If you're here tonight, you need to know that. You need to know that water baptism, while it plays no part in our salvation, as you saw tonight, is a beautiful picture of what Paul is saying. When we go under the water, we're signifying we're dead to self. Check. We're dead to this world. Check. But we are dead to sin. And most of us don't recognize that. When I put you under that water, when your pastor put you under that water, you were signifying a death to sin. In other words, you were free from the dominion and power of sin over you. And aren't you glad your pastor didn't leave you under the water? Aren't you glad you came back up? And Paul's going to talk about that and talk about being buried with baptism, but raised to walk in a newness of life. So he naturally assumed every believer had been baptized. And in the early church... There was not this long gap. If we had time tonight, the commentary suggested that I ask you, you know, how many of you have been saved and baptized? And what was the average time 
that between your salvation and your baptism. And we would hear, uh, for me, it was just a few hours. For me, I was saved that morning and baptized that night. But some of you would say, well, I, it was a month, it was three years, it was five years, it was seven years. That was so foreign to the early church. You trusted Jesus, you got baptized. That's one reason I told, uh, told Liz and Joey, let's baptize little Finn. He does, listen, not one person that I baptized tonight fully understands everything about Jesus, God's salvation and grace. And guess what? You don't either. You don't either. But, but when that word, when that baptism occurs, it's, it's just a beautiful symbolic act that Finn can look back on and, and you know, the, uh, Jim can look back on and Dakota and, and you know, Amy can look back on and Kay can look back on remembering, wait a minute, I died that day to sin. I died when I trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I came up the water, I was raised to walk in a newness of life. So we need to get back, you know. How many of y'all believe we all follow the Bible? And, well, apparently, you know, again, the, the, John wrote John, the Gospel of John, in A.D. 90. So a lot of the New Testament written until, you know, quite a ways after the life of Jesus Christ. But the early church believed certain things. And they believed that, one, you ought to be baptized when you're saved. You ought, it doesn't save you. But you ought to be baptized when you're saved. And you ought to get baptized soon after that. Because it's linked together, not part of your salvation, but linked together as your identity in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? We don't hear that today. And that's why I was so excited to preach this tonight. So if you're here tonight and you're a believer and you've not been baptized, see me. See me. Let's schedule that baptism because it identifies you with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, if you've trusted Christ, don't wait years or months or ever how long. Let's follow the biblical example and let's go ahead and be baptized as soon as possible after your salvation experience. I think it's very, very important. So he says, do you not know that all of us have been baptized unto Christ? Again, water baptism. And we're baptized unto his death. The word baptized comes from baptismo, and it means a couple things. It means to immerse. Again, for instance, generally speaking, we put people under the ground to bury them. I know there's, there's now you sprinkle ashes all around, but generally speaking, we put people under the ground. Jesus was put in a cave. He was totally immersed. And that's why I think scriptural baptism, you know, the word baptism also means to immerse. It's very important that we go under the water. I think that's scriptural to do that. I'm not cast rocks. I'm just saying I think it's scriptural um, that we do that. So we are buried with him and is baptized. And that means to identify with his death. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the penalty and the power of sin was broken. That's a good place for an amen. Yeah, thank you for the two. Let's try it again. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the penalty and power of sin was broken. And if you've trusted Christ, that penalty, aren't you glad, the penalty has been paid for. Because the penalty of sin is what? Death. Death. Talking about eternal separation from God. Jesus paid the price for our sin. But he also delivered us from the power of sin. Once again, before Jesus, I was obligated to sin. There was almost a necessity to sin. But once I trusted Jesus Christ, I only have left with the capacity to sin. It wouldn't have bothered me if he'd taken away the capacity too. But again, I think probably the free will's involved there. He wants us to make right choices. If we have time to hold look at all of this, you would see that very clearly. So then he goes on and says this. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, identifying with his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness of life. 
He's like, we are buried and we die to sin and we are raised no longer slaves to sin, but slaves of Jesus, slaves of righteousness. Now, you know these verses. Let me read them to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone, if any man is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Listen to Galatians 5, 19 and 20. For through the law, I have died to the law um, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? So he tells us that as we are buried, as we die to sin, we're raised to walk in the newness of life. We were crucified with Christ so that we might live in Christ. Again, guys, listen. We can't do it. You cannot earn your salvation. And nor do you need to or nor can you earn God's favor in the years and months and decades that follow that. You know, the first five chapters of Romans is about justification. How Jesus died and we can be justified before God by grace. And the next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, are about sanctification. About us becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse number 5, we'll knock this off. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like his. Let me read this to you. I found several things I thought were worth reading tonight in the commentary. It's called United in Christ. Crucified together. Get that thought. Because Paul says we've been crucified with him. We have a death like him. The old identity. Here's the old man. Sin dies. The old, the old slave master died. The power and lordship of sin has been destroyed. This is crucified together. We are free from the obligation, addiction, and necessity of sin. If sin is dead, it can no longer rule. That's the new man. That's the new man. Let me read to you again. Sin dies. The old slave master died. The power and lordship of sin has been destroyed. We are free from the obligation, addiction, and necessity to sin. If sin is dead, it can no longer rule. Listen to this. Resurrected together. The new identity. We have a new life. A new master, a new fellowship with God, a new union with Christ. We have been set free to serve. And lastly, workers together, new service. We have new direction, new purpose, new gifts, and new power to accomplish Christ's work. That all happens when we accept Christ and we die to sin and we're raised to walk in that newness of life. Can I ask you a question to show you the power of this? I don't know where, um, oh, you know what? I just forgot his name. What was the Charlie Berger? Okay, where's he buried at? I mean, besides in his grave. Does anybody know where it is? Uh, well, let me just tell you this. Charlie Berger was a very bad criminal. Well, actually, a lot of guys thought he was kind of like Robin Hood. But regardless, he, he killed people and it was responsible for people's death. And he hung, I guess, in Benton. Okay. But let me ask you a question. If you go to Charlie Berger's grave, is there a guard over it? Is there someone with a machine gun waiting if he case decides to, to, to mess up again? Uh, is there barbed wire around his grave? You know why? He's dead. And dead men, he can no longer do any more evil. He's dead to sin. Guess how we are? We're dead to sin. 
We are new in the sense. You know, back in the, in the again, the old days, in the days of slavery, it's just so sad. In the days of slavery, when slaves were emancipated, some of them, some of them chose to continue to live like slaves. Some of them chose to remain in the old master under the same conditions. You are sad? A lot of Christians do the same thing. We live as if we have to do what sin tells us to do. We live as if sin is our master. I'm telling you something. Jesus Christ died, and when Jesus Christ died, the penalty and power of sin was broken for the believer. But here's the deal. We've got to believe that to enjoy that. We've got to believe that. And guys, I know we've not heard this talk like we should. Too many of Well, one, can I be honest tonight? Too many of us enjoy our sin too much. You know, Book of Numbers says sin has pleasure for a season. I'm not going to stand here and tell you sin's not fun because sometimes it just is. When I'm mad at someone and they've done me wrong, I get a chance to get a little revenge, it just feels kind of good. You do too. You know what I'm talking about. When your husband messes up and you get a chance to burn his toast in the morning, don't it feel good? Come on. Come on. There's a certain pleasure for sin. There's a certain goodness, a good feeling that comes sometimes out of sin. We love our sin too much. But more sad than that, even though we believe in Christ, we know we've been saved by grace, we live as if we have no choice in sin. That sin is still our master. Well, look me in the eye. When you trusted Jesus, that master died to you. And you have a new master. And that master is his. Jesus Christ. The reason this is so important, not that it washes away your sin. I was joking with Jim up there. He's you know, the first guy. I said, Jim, you bring your soap. The water's really warm. We have a good bath tonight. He said, didn't bring any soap. You know what? That, that water up there washes nobody's sins away. Jesus did that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He made us white as snow. But the symbolism is incredibly powerful. Under the water, dying to the power of sin. And, and Paul just knew the Romans would have understood this. Again, every one of them had been baptized. Every one of them probably, many of them had been recently baptized. It was a recent memory for them. And so he could say, buried with him in baptism. Every Roman went, oh yeah, I remember that. That's what happened. I died to the power of sin in my life. And Paul says that we're raised to the news of life. I remember that. I, I, you know, Jesus changed my life. I raised to walk. I'm not the same person. I'm not perfect, but I'm not the same person that I was. So the takeaway tonight is this. The takeaway tonight is this. Remember this. Every believer in Christ, one, you ought to be baptized. As a church, we should be sure and practice the policy that when a person trusts Christ, we need to get them baptized soon after. That's the biblical example. But three, every believer, write this down. Take it home. Tattoo it on your right arm. Sin is no longer my master. I have a new master, and his name is Jesus. Saved by grace. Saved by grace. Kept God by grace. Empowered by grace. And one day, going home on the wings of grace. Amen. Bow your heads right there. Well, Father, I want to thank you. I, want to just, I already said it once, but thank you for an incredible day. And uh, Father, I guess you knew all about wet pants and stuff like that. It's just incredible. But God, I thank you for the opportunity to share these truths. Father, 
help us to make sure we understand who we are in Christ. What Christ has done for us. Because, Father, I know, I know too often myself and my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, too often we live as if we have to sin. That we have no choice. That sin's our master. And that master is death. In a culture that we live in that sin is so prevalent and so available, we have a tendency to focus on sin and that takes our focus off Christ and robs us, I think, of the power of grace and the gospel. Jesus, thank you that you died and the penalty and the power of sin was broken. Thank you for the opportunity tonight to see this lived out in five lives. Five peoples from very young to very old who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. No longer, no longer is sin their master. They have been set free. Thank you, God. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.